Praise God. Praise God. Have you been enjoying this series? I have. I have. So we've got quite a bit in store for you. Everyone hear me? We've got quite a bit in store for you. Uh, You had a powerful message from my wife on the Word of God. If you missed that, please listen to it via the website. We also have something coming up next week on forgiveness. Very, very important. And I'm hoping that there'll be lots of people who'll come to that. And then afterwards, I'm going to be looking at the whole issue of healing from father wounds and also healing from mother wounds the following week. And then we're going to be exploring issues to do with generational bondages that need to be broken. And I know there are a lot of theories out there on generational patterns, and I want to teach from a biblical perspective, a balanced perspective on how to deal with those. Amen. Then we're going to look also at issues like the occult, people going to fortune tellers, ancestral worship, and how to break that. All right? We're also going to cover in this series the authority of the believer. It's important not to be afraid of demons, but to know how to deal with them. Amen. Because God has given us authority. But this morning, I want to share with you a very important message, and I've entitled it, Family, God's Primary Shield. Family, God's Primary Shield. Father, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for revelation knowledge. I thank you, God, that today will not just be mere information, but it will be the imparting of revelation to your people. I thank you, God, that there will be an activation into the purposes of God and that we would walk in deeper levels of freedom. I thank you that this message will not be robbed from your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, a lot of times when we talk about healing, a lot of times when we talk about personal freedom, people think you have to go away for a week or for a month to some holy mountain and then you come back free. Now there's a place for isolation. There's a place where God heals us as individuals. But one of the things I've learned in the work that I do, one of the things I've learned is that healing takes place in community. Healing takes place in community. I was coaching some people a couple of days ago and they're involved in the pharmaceutical industry and they're involved in sales. They're sales reps. How many of you are in sales here? And I found it interesting that the one lady said to me, you know what, Paul? I used to think I was stupid. I think maybe she didn't have other words. I think she was an Afrikaans uh, speaking person. And I think that's the word she had, stupid. She didn't say slow learner. She didn't say anything else. She just said, I used to think I was stupid. But in my experience the last couple of years as a rep, I'm finding that my confidence is building up so much. I'm starting to see that there's this leader within me that can rise up. Paul, we were taught so well to understand the product. We were taught so well to understand how the different molecules work with this particular product. One guy said to me, Paul, it's so fulfilling when I feel like I can now speak at the same level as doctors. We can actually have a conversation. Can you see what I'm saying? They're being boosted because they're relating to people who believe in them. Healing takes place in community. And what I've learned is that God has a view. He has a view of every single person here. But our responsibility when we are in family with them, in a church family, in a biological family, in a small group, our responsibility is to reflect the heart of God, to reflect the words of God to each other. Amen? The degree to which as a husband I'm reflecting Christ's heart toward my wife is the degree to which I'll lead my family. Come on now. The Bible says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the church. So my leadership is based on my submission to Christ. Amen. And so I must always be thinking and always be in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking to myself, what is God saying to my wife? What are God's words to my wife? What is God's heart toward my wife? And everything I say should reflect that. Isn't that powerful? And it's the same with your children. What, is God's, what, is, what are God's words 
to my kids? What is God's heart to my kids? And I must be reflecting that. As a pastor, I must be thinking to myself, what are God's words for the people of God? What is God's heart for the people of God? That's where freedom comes. Say to the person next to you, healing takes place in community. And so I believe that I'll be speaking to three groups of people this morning. The first group of people, you are counselors. How many of you counsel people? How many of you here counsel your friends? Right? And I'm believing God that as I speak to you about family and what a functional family looks like, as you're counseling people, you'll be able to see the gaps, cracks, and leakages very quickly. And you'll be able to say, because this person didn't have X, Y, Z, oh, I now see why they're acting the way they're acting. Amen? How many of you know that we all have holes in our souls? We all have gaps, cracks, and leakages. And it's so important to surround ourselves with people who can see where the gaps are and minister healing. Often if I'm at weddings, I say, some men are called to restore. Some women are called to restore. If your wife has brokenness, gentlemen, it's your responsibility to bring restoration where there was brokenness. One of the sad things is sometimes I counsel couples and the wife might say, I was rejected by my father. I was abandoned by my father. And the husband is doing the very same thing. How many of you know some men are called to restore? If she was abandoned and broken in her past, you now need to go on overdrive to minister acceptance where there's been rejection. Are you hearing me this morning? All right. Some women are called to restore. Some of you wives have got husbands who were criticized so much by their parents. They're in a place of brokenness. But now they're experiencing it twice as much with you in marriage. Some women are called to restore. Amen. So that's the first group of people. Those who are healers. Those who are coming in as counselors who need to see the gaps, cracks, and leakages. Group number two. It's those of you who come from a place of brokenness yourself. But how many of you know that if you know how you learned certain behavior, it becomes easy for you to unlearn it? Amen? Now we've all had some degree of brokenness, but often we don't know where it comes from. But when I explain to you today, this is what a healthy family looks like. We've spoken a lot about dysfunctional family. I've taught quite a bit on that. Some of you have seen my book, Restoring Family Life, a powerful book. It's a small book. Please get it if you can. Okay, or pop me an email. I'll send it to you or get it on, on Amazon. Restoring Family Life, and it's entitled Functional Dysfunctional or Dysfunctional Functional, right? So we can talk about what a dysfunctional family looks like, but it's important to actually describe this is the standard of a functional family. And when you see what the standard is, you begin to understand, oh, this is why I react like this. Oh, this is why I'm so sensitive in this particular area. It's not all these people. They're not all against me. It's my own issue I'm projecting. Amen. And you end up so free when it comes to things like offense. Amen. And then the third group of people is hopefully every single person here. Every single person who wants to have a great family. Maybe you're a father, maybe you're a mother, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a son, you're a daughter. You're either currently heading up your own family, you've started your own family, or you're hoping to one day. Amen? It's so important that we teach this. When we look at this nation, many people will look at the political situation and say, this is how we can fix the economy. But how many of you know that at the root of this nation, we've got a family crisis? And a lot of what we see outworking itself in government began in the incubation phase in families. Amen? How you raise a child, how you educate a child, the spiritual disciplines you impart to a child or not end up manifesting in government one day. And I've done too many hours of coaching people, too many hours of counseling people for anyone to convince me that someone just suddenly changes and becomes a certain way. The general pattern is we see from the incubation stage, gaps, cracks, and leakages, working like a time bomb, and at a certain point, the explosion takes place. Amen. 
So does everyone feel like they fit? I'm hoping that there's no one here who's saying, oh, we're talking about family. Pastor, I just wanted to hear, how can I get that new, next business deal? You know, you know that's, that's the taste we've given people in the church today, isn't it? You know? And everyone's like, just tell me, how can I get my business deal? Let me tell you something. How you deal with family life will affect the answer to your prayers. The Bible is very clear and tells us, husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessels, lest your prayers be hindered. Number one, first sign of a functional family. I'm calling it God's primary shield because this is where God protects us. This is where we end up not having issues 10 years down the line because of this primary shield. The first one is maintenance. Everyone say maintenance. Every child needs maintenance. And it's interesting because if someone has a child out of wedlock and doesn't get married to the woman, what do we say? What does government say? You have to do what? You have to pay? Maintenance. But how I many of you know that there are a lot of kids who are in a family unit with mother, father who are married, but they're not being maintained? Are you hearing me this morning? They're not being maintained. Someone came to me, they contacted me, and they said, Paul, my wife and I need counseling. I'm concerned about my wife and her practices, her drinking habits when she's with her friends. You know, usually it's the other way around. This time around, it was this way around. Her drinking habits. Pastor, we need input. Pastor, the other day she went off and she had to go uh, to her aunt or get someone, right? And I realized she wasn't at home. And the time now I got back, it was something like 9.30 in the evening and I realized the kids hadn't eaten. Are you hearing me? How many of you know that when children are not maintained, social services comes in and then can take the children? Amen? But I've noticed something interesting. It seems like government, the world, people out there are sensitive about those dynamics. But you can have a Christian family that doesn't think in terms of what's the maintenance on these children. Now many of you are saying to me and thinking right now, oh, that's those other people out there. It can never be me. Really? It can be. It can be. Romans 8 verse 32. The Bible says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Won't he also give us everything else? For a child to grow up in a functional way and not have issues, they must have a revelation of Jehovah Jireh. That God is my provider. And if that child grows up in an environment where there isn't that sense of security, of just knowing that, you know what, I will have something to eat. God will provide. Then there are issues later on. Children are not the same as adults. Sometimes we treat kids like adults. We like, they will, they'll figure it out. They'll find something to eat. Amen? When we talk about maintenance, we're not just talking about food. We're also talking about cleanliness. A lot of kids today are getting a lot of diseases simply because they're not clean. How many of you know that especially boys sometimes have an adversity, aversion to bathing? When was the last time you checked that your kids are bathing properly? I still remember there was a time I was probably about seven years of age and I was at that stage where I was now bathing myself and so on and one day my mom had this thing of examining us. Okay, she, she's very cool blue for those of you who understand personalities and she would look at us and will see and there's certain Shona words I don't know the direct translation of it but there are times when you can see that someone hasn't really scrubbed properly right um, and there's a word for that in my mother tongue right and she, she would look and she would examine and then she would say you know what one of these days I really want to bath you but I was now at that age where it was now a bit awkward and she just got hold of me and I think she also got hold of my brother, put us in the bath and scrubbed us. <laughs> now for many of us, what happens? We were just so happy that our kids can now do all of this stuff themselves. Those of you who aren't yet at that stage, you'll know it's like a relief where you can just say, guys go shower, guys have you showered, guys have you bathed, oh it's nice. Are you feeling me on that one? <laughs> but I want to give you some, as a little tip. Just check from time to time, okay? Even when it comes to things like brushing their teeth, one of the things we found, I don't embarrass any of my kids, I've forgotten which one it was, 
But we started discovering that brushing teeth properly seemed to be like a week thing that happens during the week when they're going to school. And one time on weekends, they're like, yeah, no, sometimes on weekends I forget. I'm thinking, huh? Have we not provided the toothpaste? Have we not supplied the toothbrush? And also check the toothbrushes. Check the toothbrushes. I know if I go to some of you, some of your bathrooms at your house, if I just say, I want to use the loo, and we see these toothbrushes looking like this. Okay. Toothbrushes need to be maintained. You know, we look at this and we laugh about these things, but guys, you can be a Christian who's always going to prayer meetings, praying, 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 but missing out on these things. Basic maintenance. Human rights. Okay, basic maintenance. Amen. It consists of food. It consists of shelter. It consists of health care. Are your children warm enough? We're going into winter. My wife um, always says just before winter, I need to get the kids winter clothes. I need to get them winter clothes. You know, I'll be just thinking, ka-chank, 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 ka-chank. <laughs> but it's always nice for me seeing them looking warm. Amen? It consists of food. It consists of shelter. It consists of health Care. You know that in some families, especially where there are addictions, children are neglected. Watch out for that. Some of you have grown up with alcoholic parents. Children are neglected because the parent is so consumed with their own needs, with his or her own needs, they actually forget about the children. When we are talking about this, can I go here? We're also talking about nutrition. We're talking about nutrition. So saying I'm feeding my kids but you're feeding them poison all the time, consistently. That's not maintenance. Now you've gone quiet on me. That's not maintenance. I was counseling one person and um, we were counseling her and she said, my, my dad wasn't always around. My mom really hurt me by the words that she spoke. But the way they would show me love, both my mom and my dad independently, is they would always buy me lots of junk food. And I was very overweight, this person was saying, but they would always buy me lots of chocolates, chips, everything. That's how they communicated love. Don't let your children be the ones who determine how they're maintained. One of my kids, Jaden, he had a um, sleepover party where friends came to sleep over for his birthday a couple of months ago. And the way I was greeted by one of the friends, the first thing he says to me is, I just want you to know, I don't eat vegetables. That's how he was greeting me. How many of you know that vegetables, it's an acquired taste? The reason a child can say, I don't eat vegetables, is they haven't been forced to eat vegetables by the parents. Usually. Amen? How many of you know that, how many of you like pup? Right? How many of you know that pup, it doesn't really have a taste when it's by itself? The reason you like it is you acquired that taste, you grew up with it. It's not like you just started eating it when you were 17, 18, 25, 45, however old you are, and you suddenly started saying, pup is very nice. Amen? So I want to say to you, when we are in our families, we have an opportunity to train up our kids with regards to what they have a taste for. Are you hearing me this morning? We have an opportunity to give them the right tastes. Taste buds. How many of you know that most Malawians you meet like fish? And that's not because they were just born that way. It's because they've got a very big lake in Malawi and that's one of the staple diets. So they had to like it. Amen? I've met a couple of kids recently and they'll say to me, I don't drink juice. I just drink water. And they actually like water. And every single time the pattern I've seen is there's a parent. There's a parent who's got a strong stance about it. And at a certain point, the child acquires the right taste. Amen. So my question to you is, as you are building your family or your future family, and let me talk a bit about future families. People switch off, singles, switch off with messages like this because they're like, I'm not yet in that space. And then the moment they say, I do, 
Now they're thinking I need to fast track my learning on family life, etc. No, you start now. Amen? You start now. We don't need to fast track later on. Very important. When people get married, ooh, let's fast track the marriage counseling. Three weeks. No, we learn the principles now. When you say I do, or when you have your first baby, if you've had bad relational habits, the moment you say I do, those relational habits don't just go away. Amen? Maintenance is so important. In Psalms, the book of Psalms 37 verse 25, it says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. That's what it says. Which tells me that part of righteousness is that we're not going to have our children begging bread. Amen. Philippians 4 verse 12 says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. When you talk about providing for your family, it's not to say your kids can just demand, I want this. I want that and you give them everything no what you want to do is to raise them up so that they have a strong understanding of Jehovah Jireh that God will provide for me that sometimes we might have lean months but I'm still content the Bible tells us be content if you've got food and clothes amen they don't have to have all the best label clothes best label shoes amen they can be content knowing that you know what um, I am so filled with Christ and in Christ I am complete and I have enough so we're not talking about materialism and I just wanted to make sure that we have an understanding of that and it's funny because in verse 13 that's when it goes on to say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength often we quote that scripture in isolation don't we the context of this scripture is I've learned contentment I've learned contentment you see, God wants us to be healthy. When we talk about maintenance, we're talking about maintaining a healthy lifestyle. God wants us to be healthy so that we can do His will. Some people think the miracle is just when you are sick, now you are healed. But what's even better and what's kingdom is divine health, living in divine health. Very, very important. You know that a lot of the foods in the Old Testament where it says don't eat this, don't eat that, we look at it through one, one lens. We look at it through a religious lens and we just say, oh, there were, there's just these strict dietary requirements. But when you examine a lot of those so-called unclean foods, a lot of them were unhealthy foods. We can learn so much about sanitation. We can learn so much about nutrition just by looking at some of those laws around foods. Amen. Okay. So are we going to be strong at maintaining? Amen. Husbands, men, wives, a functional family that's God's primary shield is strong on maintenance. Number two, nurture. Nurture. Nurture is a sense of emotional warmth and that feeling of being home. Sometimes when I get home, my wife will give me a hug. And she'll say, let's say she's been quite stressed out or something terrible has happened in the day. She'll give me a hug and she'll just say, this is home. Such a good feeling, isn't it? Sometimes I'll say, okay, um, well, when you got burgled last year, oh, so, so, so should we move to that other neighborhood? Oh, should we go to that other place? And she'll say to me, I don't really mind as long as you are there. The opportunity to say, nah. There are a lot of emotions associated with home. Think about your own feelings towards home. Think about the family that you grew up in. Do you associate it with a feeling of warmth? Or do you associate it with, hey, I just wanted to be out of here? You know those people who just say like, hey, I can't wait till I leave home. How many of you are in that space? You grew up in households like that where you just couldn't wait to grow up and leave home. Why? What was it about the climate? Amen? 
So there's nurture that takes place, nurturing that takes place. Think about these feelings that stem from your childhood. How many of you know that fathers can also be gentle? Sometimes we think like, okay, my wife is the nurturer and I'm the harsh one. Men can't do the emotional thing, says who? When I look at Jesus, the Bible talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Amen? John. And it talks about how John would lay his head on Jesus' chest. Amen? As men, we have to learn to nurture also. It's not this thing where it's like the wife is the nurturer. Yes, she might be more naturally nurturing, but we need to create a climate in our home where people feel nurtured. Are you hearing me this morning, ladies and gentlemen? Very, very important. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 29, Jesus says something so powerful. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. How many of you have associated home life with weariness and burdens? Jesus associates himself with bringing healing and ministering freedom to people who are burdened and weary. And he says, and I will give you rest. If Jesus is in your home, it should be a place of nurture and it should be a place not of weariness. But so many people today, how do they feel? They're like, I've been working hard all day. Then I come home and there's all this. Home should be a safe place. The battles can happen out there, but home should be a spacious place. Are you hearing me this morning, ladies and gentlemen? I was doing some work. I've, I've got a very busy two weeks, last week, this week, and I was doing some work. Over the weekend at some point, my wife came to me with a cup of hot tea and some biscuits. And she said something to me. I've forgotten the exact words. She says, she said, is this a spacious place? Do you feel like it's a spacious place? And I said, yes. She says, okay, because that's the intention. I want you to feel like home is like this. Amen? That's a tip. I loved it. I visited uh, Tomiso and Lena uh, the other night. And I was sitting there with them. And I saw this sweet side of Lena that I love to see. I'm not saying she's not usually sweet. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm just saying I saw this sweet side of her. And she kept on saying to her husband, Lovey, are you sure? Love, are you sure you want? And, I'm, and for one moment, I must say, I was thinking, ah, is this because I'm here? <laughs> but it was just beautiful to see. I want, you, I want you guys to think about it and ask yourselves the question, what am I doing to create a warm climate in my family? A lot of us, we put our best foot forward at work. We dress nicely, we talk nicely. But if we're honest with ourselves, we give our loved ones our leftovers. And if you are raising kids in that environment, let me tell you something, when they have issues, after some time, after some years... It's because of the climate that you've created a lot of the time, not always. So Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you, I will give you. Now, if we are reflecting Jesus in our households, that should be our heart. Now, how many of you found home to be a restful place when you're growing up? Or you're constantly because I see those same people when they're in churches now, they can't rest in church. Church is not a restful place. Church is a place full of guilt. Church is a place full of, I'm never doing enough. I'm not good enough. And you're just trying to perform, just trying to perform. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you what? Rest. Now watch this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why should we learn from you, Jesus? For I'm gentle and humble in heart. The qualification for teaching is gentleness and humility. He says, learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. And dads in this place, you don't have to be macho. You can be like Jesus, gentle and humble in heart. That qualifies you to teach people. Amen. I'm hoping you got that. Then he says, and you will find what for your souls? Newsflash. God's portion for your family 
is it's a place of nurture and a place of rest. And he wants you to find rest for your souls. Are you feeling stressed out? Are you feeling burnt out? He wants you to find rest for your souls. That's biblical Christianity. He wants you to function from a place of rest. Amen. So by implication, children will learn from their parents if there is an environment of humility and gentleness. This is the Jesus environment. Number three, inclusion. Families that are functional, families that become God's primary shield are places of inclusion. What's a place of inclusion? A place of inclusion is a place of acceptance. Amen? How many of you know that you don't have to pay rent to stay in your mom, mom and dad's house? Unless maybe you're now 35, okay? <laughs> you don't have to pay rent. They don't, they don't think you must perform in order to stay here. Sometimes you'll be naughty at school. You'll be caned the days of caning. You'll, you'll be caned by the headmaster. But you still come home and there's your bed there. Amen? Okay, unless maybe some of you are kicked out of home. But if you are kicked out of home while you're still under your parents' care, that is a wound right there. Because one of the things your parents needed to do was to include you. If you've experienced any kind of exclusion, and it's very subtle, sometimes it's being banished from that parental home. You know, parents can be very manipulative if they want you to do something. That's a very strong wound. Very strong wound. And you find that it brings about a spirit of abandonment very often or a root of rejection. And if you don't get healing in that area, you find it following you. You find yourself in church, but you always feel like an outsider. And everyone is saying, no, but you, you're cool. We like you, but you're feeling like an outsider. Amen? There are other types of inclusion, where sometimes, or exclusion, where sometimes you have to perform to be accepted. So you'll find, and some of you will remember, the look in your father's eye. In your father's eyes, when you were maybe playing a sport, maybe your father loved sports like soccer, and you were kicking the ball and then you missed, and there was a sense of disgust in his eyes. How many of you ever experienced that? There's a sense of shame. I was at a soccer festival yesterday watching my son play, and it was interesting just seeing the different parents. And as the child is about to score and so on, it's like, yay! And you've got these kids whose parents would literally run onto the field. You know how South Africa is like, oh, 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 oh. Right? Right onto the field when the child scores. But my question is, what do you do when they don't score? What do you do when they miss the ball? Are you just as passionate? Or do you look ashamed? It's so important to have a sense of inclusion. This is a sense of belonging. This is a sense of belonging. Knowing that you'll be missed when you're not present. That's why we encourage you to be part of small groups so that you're known in the church. For some of you, you don't come to church for three weeks. You come the following week and people don't really know the difference because you're not known. And then you begin to blame the church and say they're not friendly. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you're the one who's not friendly. You feel needed. You're known by name and are unconditionally accepted. You don't have to pay your membership fee to be there. How many of you were ever told when you're growing up there's a membership fee to be part of this family? And if you don't pay, you are no longer a nyamuda. You are no longer a masoha. Amen? No. In Lamentations chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 22 to 23. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Remember that song? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If that's God's heart for you and me, then our job, our role, as we raise up our children, as we start our families, is to reinforce that mercy is new every morning. A climate where there's, there are a lot of grudges kept, a climate of unforgiveness, produces people who are insecure, produces people who feel they always have to perform to be noticed. 
And I see adults like that today. I see people, accomplished people walking in church, into a church, but never feel comfortable unless they're perfect. Then I see other people who can tell me quite openly, Pastor Paul, I'm struggling in this area of my life. And they know and they feel comfortable because they know they'll still be accepted and loved. Amen? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. One of the most powerful things a child can grow up with is being disciplined the one moment by the parents. You saw my action there. Being disciplined by their parents. Yeah, just go back to the Bible, guys. Being disciplined by the parents. <laughs> right? Being forgiven by their parent. And next moment, playing nicely, sport, hugging each other and so on. That ministers acceptance. And sometimes it confuses them because they're like, but I've just done this terrible thing. But now you're hugging me and you're showing your delight in me. Some of you who don't discipline your children, you make the mistake of doing something that wounds them even more. You know what that is? Instead of being firm with your discipline, you become manipulative. So you give them cold pricklies. You withdraw affection from them. Like, mm, I'm just going to distance myself from him because he's not listening to me. Then they come out with roots of rejection afterwards. Amen? As parents, we need and we are called to reinforce this type of love and acceptance. So, so important. Let children from a young age learn forgiveness from you so that they never become bitter people themselves. So that they have that benchmark that, you know what? My father was so forgiving. My mother was so forgiving. My brother was so forgiving. These principles I'm sharing with you apply to how you relate to your brothers and your sisters. Amen. Number four, differentiation. Say to the person next to you, differentiation. And I'm not teaching you maths. I'm not talking about maths. Okay. How many of you know that everyone is special? Everyone is unique. And in families, a problem we have when a family becomes dysfunctional is what we call in psychology enmeshment. Where you don't know, where Ivy doesn't know, where does Ivy end and where does Mutsa begin? Where does Ivy end and where does Nyari begin? Amen? I'm just using it as an example. I'm not meaning them, but I'm saying that's what happens with people. Right? How many of you know that you're not the same as your father? You're the same in many ways, but you're also different in many ways. And we have a problem in families where we try to cookie cut everyone and make them like buns. Sorry, direct translation from my mother tongue. When we're talking about, it, in Shona, when you're talking about how people in the family all look the same, all act the same, you know those buns that you pick out like it's like a grid and they're just exactly the same? So we say, direct, direct translation from my mother tongue, we say they look so much alike, they're like buns, like a set of buns, okay? <laughs> okay, right. But the point I'm making here is people are unique and people are different. And it's so important to allow that to manifest. My wife grew up in a family when they would go on holiday. My father-in-law was quite tough those days. He's mellowed out since. But when they would go on holiday, he would say, guys, we're climbing this mountain. Guys, now we're swimming here. Guys, let's go. And everyone had to be on time, on track. You know, it was like sort of army-like. You know, let's do this, let's do that. If you're caught sort of like just lying down, wanting to read a book or do something else, sometimes it was seen as unsocial, antisocial. You had to be there connecting with everyone. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And still today, sometimes when we're at home, if my wife wants to do her own thing or do whatever it is, sometimes I have to encourage her and say, it's fine, go for it. Oh no, but aren't I being antisocial if I then do it? It's fine, it's cool. I grew up in a family where it's kind of like, again, my mother tongue, they do their guy. You just, you know, flow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amen. Your children are not all the same. Just because you're good at maths, they don't all have to be good at maths. <laughs> here's, here's what's important. People will gravitate to whatever is celebrated in a family. 
So when Trace was growing up, she was one of those gifted kids. She was good at sports and also good academically. But her dad was kind of like, why do you need to get like more than 55%? Just, you know, like 54% is okay, it's fine. So here's this straight A student, but the dad is like, you don't need all that, it's cool. So sporting wise, they were provincial, national, doing the stuff. But some aspects of sport, she didn't enjoy that much, certain things, right? And she's like, okay, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And it was only later on in life that she realized, wait a minute, I'm quite an academic person. And it's fine, let me really go for it. Are you hearing me? What are you celebrating in your household? Now she's doing quite a bit of sports with a triathlon and so on. And her dad was saying to me when we were all on holiday together the one time, she's like, so Paul, what's all this? He was like, what's all this for? Like, what's the end? Oh, so you can't, you can't win. <laughs> Amen. Because one moment they'll be celebrating the particular thing, then you think, oh, let me pursue that. Then afterwards they're like, what's all this about? Are you following? The Bible says, instruct a child in the way he or she should go. Not in the way you want them to go. In the way he or she should go. There's a way in which Samuel should go. There's a way in which Jaden should go. There's a way in which Daniel should go. And we have to be in tune with the Lord Jesus to hear that. And in your households, this applies to you as husband and wife. There's a particular couple I was counseling some years ago, and they owned a particular business. And they were working in the business together, but they were clashing. It was affecting their marriage because the wife was an accountant. The husband was a maverick sort of entrepreneur. So they had different styles. How I many of you know that? And I said to them, just because you're married doesn't mean you have to work in the same business together. So now the guy, they took my advice and it helped their marriage. Because the guy then started selling oil, gas and things like that in Soweto, doing other things and so on. And the wife was running the business that was more stable and suited her personality. Now it's all their wealth, but it doesn't mean they had to be hands-on together. And some of you are in those situations where you're trying to force things. I know certain areas where with my wife, we work so well together. I know other areas where I avoid, or she avoids working within those areas because there'll be a clash. Freedom to be who you are, amen? And what's important here is boundaries. What's important is boundaries. When it comes to boundaries, you have what we call space boundaries. When my wife got a new car, she said, kids, no eating in this car. It's her space, amen? And it's okay to raise your children like that where there can be a space. Our kids in their various rooms and so on like to have their space from time to time. And there's certain rules around that where another person can't just waltz in, use the other person's clothes without asking and doing, and that's healthy, it's okay. It's a boundary, they must learn to ask first. Just because it's your brother, unless they've said, listen, no holds barred, you can just take whatever you wanna take. Unless they've said that upfront, it's a boundary. Amen? Did you feel included as you were growing up? Did you feel like you belonged? Or did you feel like you had to perform or be a certain way in order to be accepted? How did you feel as you were growing up? Think back to those emotions. And what are you doing today to make the people in your family, whether it's your siblings, your parents, to make them feel included? Or are you reinforcing a climate where you have to get straight A's for me to delight in you? What if they're not a straight A student? Not everyone is a straight A student, amen? Are you communicating to your family members, your children, that you actually trust them? One of the warmest feelings I sometimes feel is when I know I'm trusted. I said to my wife, my love, this morning I'm gonna be using, I wanna use some examples from your life, is that okay? I'll do it in an honoring way. It's good to, you'll see when you're a preacher, you have to, you must ask first. And you know what she said to me? She said, I know you all is honoring Paul. Just go for it. Just you can use. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She communicated that she trusts me. There's a sense of belonging there. Right? Yesterday, Trace was speaking to Samuel, trying to get him to do some homework. Right? And I could hear what was going on. I could hear what was going on. I could hear what was going on. She was getting irritated, right? The claws were starting to come out or, you know, I'm speaking figuratively, right? 
She was getting irritated. She was saying, I could hear the conversation from my study. She was saying like, Samuel, I can't do your homework for you. Don't be dependent on me. And I could hear what he was saying. But I knew that he had also spent the whole morning at a soccer festival and was finished, 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 tired, tired, tired. And I felt I needed to step in. And I stepped in and I just said, Samuel, we want to tell you this. We trust you. You know you want to get a gold certificate academically this, come, this term. You want to maintain, he's, he was sitting on about 83%. You want to maintain that. That's your goal. And there's a reward for that goal. So you know what you have to do. Figure it out. Whether you do it today, tomorrow, it's your issue. But I want you to know we trust you. My wife was in agreement and so on. We trust you. One of the warmest feelings someone can have is to know that they're trusted. Amen? Right now, do you feel included? I know many men. Come on. Can I go here? Many times as men, we arrive at home. And if we are, you arrive home and your kids are busy watching TV, you know, it's not like back in the day. You know, back in the day, your dad pitches up at home and you know there's a code you can't just carry on what you're doing right you get up you really make them feel welcome nowadays you pitch up at home and you feel like i'm really grafting for these kids and so on and the only time they sometimes come out is you see them coming out and then they check the boot to see if there's anything for them they sort of look and sometimes if they don't see anything hi dad hi dad i can see when their mom has sent them to say, to greet me because you see them hi dad hi dad i'm like Seriously? Okay. So even as fathers in our own homes, do you feel included? Moms. Very often moms in a household feel used. Feel like, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm your helper here. Just as long as there's food and so on. I'm not celebrated for who I am. As long as, I, as there's food, you guys are fine. How many of you are feeling me on this? Don't raise your hand too high. Don't expose. Don't expose. <laughs> so healthy families have a strong sense of inclusion. It's not a case of children must be seen, not heard. How many of you grew up in families? Children must be seen, not heard. Your voice is not celebrated. Let's talk a bit more about differentiation. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 to 31 says, What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You're distinguished. You're special. You're unique. It's so important to reinforce that in our households today. It gives people a sense of significance. When you feel significant as a person, guess what? A sense of significance means I matter. When I walk into a room, my presence is felt. When I leave, they miss me. When I arrive home, I'm noticed that dad is home. You feel special. You feel your role in the family is honored. It's another thing we're going to teach from time to time, the whole issue of honor. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. Bible says, The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Every single person here. Before you were born, I set you apart. You know, this doesn't apply just to Jeremiah. It applies to every single person in this room. That before you were born, he had set you apart for a special purpose. Tebazo, special purpose set apart. For Jeremiah, it was to be a prophet to the nations. What is it for you? You're significant. You're unique. Every single child should feel that way. I've spoken to people who've said to me, Paul, you know what? As a lady, as a girl child growing up in my family, my parents used to prioritize the education of my brothers. It affected my confidence now at work. Amen? How many of you know that when God created man, the Bible says he created them male and female in his image. Some men are chauvinistic. They act like it's only men who were created in God's image. 
So now in your families, when you're reflecting this, it's important to celebrate the guys and the girls. One of the things that gets the most serious discipline in my household is if my boy kids dishonor their mother. Because I want them to grow up as men who honor women. Are you following me? All right? This is differentiation. How many of you know that when it comes to honor, you honor different people for different things? The Bible says husbands honor your wives as the weaker vessel. Deal with your wives with understanding. So there's an honor that goes to the opposite sex. There's an honor that men must give to women because they're women. The Bible says give double honor. Praise God, hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah. Give double honor to... No, guys, don't make me feel like you don't know your word. Give double honor to... That's the point I've just made. There's one in the Bible that talks about who gets double honor. Give double honor to those who are elders in the church, especially those who do the work of preaching and teaching. Go and meditate on that scripture and see the, the ramifications of it yourself without me saying anything. Amen. I'm just teaching the Bible here. The Bible talks about honor those in authority government officials because they're trying to do their job I wasn't trying to be funny people are laughing we're talking about differentiation we're talking about the honor you give different people in your household so that they become whole people afterwards how many of you know that if a father especially when a girl is about 12 or 13 if a father treats their daughter with dignity and says you're my princess not verbally abusing her says you're my princess you're so special it'll affect how she views herself and how she relates to the opposite sex some of you who grew up in families where you're always told you're special, you're wonderful, you're precious, it affected which guys you ended up getting into a relationship with. Are you hearing me? But if you're told the opposite, it also determined the direction you took. Differentiation. I've appointed you as my prophet to the nations. What has God appointed you to? What has God appointed your wife to? What has God appointed your husband to? What has he set them apart for? My job with my wife is to be so sensitive to that which she was set apart for while she was in her mother's womb and to make sure she does that. Amen? Not through coercion, but in how I relate to her. Those of you in a relationship, those of you newly wed, what was your spouse set apart for? And are you causing them to step fully into it? Or are you the one derailing them from it? You see them full of zeal, wanting to serve God in a particular way, and you're like, what about me? I knew someone, she was leading a particular woman's ministry, a, a wonderful woman, a female pastor, and her husband subsequently passed away. But what was interesting is I remember speaking to her and I said, how do you feel? Your husband has passed away. She says, Paul, I'm really sad. I'm really sad. But to be honest with you, I feel a bit freer. I feel a bit freer because now when it comes to ministry things, there were times when I would say, come, let's go to church. Let's say there's a church event in the afternoon and you'd say, why do we need to go to church again? But we've already had church in the morning. Why do we need to go again? I don't know if he had a full revelation of what his wife was set apart for. Are you hearing me? What is your husband set apart for? What are your kids set apart for? How many of you know that there's a lifestyle that goes with a calling? So what happens sometimes is we just think that our spouse is a normal Christian. And so when it comes to lifestyle, it's just like, yeah, I know, just do what normal Christians do. But many of you in this room, you're not ordinary Christians. You're called to greatness. And there's a lifestyle that has to match the calling. Amen? Okay. 
When there's differentiation, your uniqueness is celebrated. In many families, the lines are blurred. The mother doesn't recognize where she ends and where the father begins, or where she ends and the firstborn child begins. Everyone is so enmeshed into each other. Everyone should be recognized as an individual. When you acknowledge your uniqueness, you're able to say, I like this and I don't like this. I like this form of entertainment and I don't really like this. One of the games I like to play with my family when we're eating, I like to sit down and we're eating and then I start saying, okay guys, let's vote. Let's see. I don't like using the word vote. Who in this family likes TV the most? Then everyone just goes, pointing to the individual. (laughs) Who in this family likes bicycles the most? And people are wondering, is it the mom or is it Samuel? And I said, no, no. Mom likes cycling the most. Samuel likes bicycles, flashy bicycles the most. There's a difference, guys. But what it does is as we begin to have those conversations, you start seeing the unique attributes of each individual. Who says, who's the best storyteller in this family? And there's a lot of dissing in the process, obviously. (laughs) Amen. Who's the best at dabbing in this family? Daniel. Everything is about dabbing. (laughs) Celebrate the uniqueness of each other. Amen. I like this. In Romans 12, verse 3 to 5, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and not all the members have the same, not all the members have the same function, but we're trying to cookie cut everyone and make clones out of everyone. Maybe it's the spirit of this age or something. Cloning. And we do it in the church. How many of you know that when you understand differentiation, you allow people to express their spirituality different? How many, differently? How many of you know that there's some people where they're more in tune with God when they're out in creation? I don't like saying nature. I like saying creation because it was created by God. They're out in creation looking at a flower. There's a guy I know who are starting to doubt God. But he says, Paul, what's helped me is when I just look at a flower and I see the order in creation, I'm like, there must be a God. Some people connect way more with God that way. Some people will have such a long time of prayer just jogging. 20 Ks. Connects more with God jogging than being in a room. Amen? But you see, we've become so rigid in our families where it's like, this is how you pray, and this is how you have to read your Bible, and this is, and we're cookie cutting everyone. Be sensitive to the uniqueness that's in your family members, even with your spouse. Don't, it's very subtle, it happens in marriages. Come on now where you judge each other because one likes praying when they're sitting on a bed. The other one likes praying, Shandai, Shandai, driving by Hyundai. And this one, who, the, one, the one that has the all-night prayer meeting style of praying like this, thinks they're more spiritual than the one who's sitting on the bed. That's wrong. You guys, you guys know why we pace up and down in prayer meetings so we don't fall asleep. <laughs> I know some people who are new Christians, they come and they think like, okay, so is that how you do it? And they're wide awake and they also, oh, roboko. No. <laughs> okay. Even in families, there's a lot of comparison and people gravitate to whatever is celebrated, even if it's not their calling. So just because we're strong on building up entrepreneurs doesn't mean everyone is called to be an entrepreneur. And sometimes in a church like this, there can be that pressure that I haven't quite reached the pinnacle because I'm not running my own business yet. No, some of you are called to be corporate leaders. Amen? I think I'm going to stop here. So what were we talking about? We were saying that family is the primary shield. I've reached point number four, right? In a couple of weeks, I'll do the rest, 
Okay? I've got 10 key factors in terms of family being the primary shield. Now I want to encourage you, listen to this message again. Okay? We're going to go through the whole prayer strategy around it. It gets posted onto the website where you can be praying through these things. And let's make sure we create healthy families where our kids don't grow up with issues, where our spouses, our spouses don't have issues but can connect with the Lord. Amen? Some men are called to restore. Some women are called to restore. Let's reflect God's heart for them. Let's pray.